and welcome to Power Reflections, a proud member of the Doof Network where we reflect on Wabo's most unprincipled work as it releases. I'm Ruben Morehouse. And I'm Elliot Diebold. And we are back to talk about Vanishing Points 8.5 with Verona, a beautiful interlude with uh, Liberty Ted, and then a bonus material where we just snoop on some emails. Uh, so that will be fun. But before we get to that, let's dive into Vanishing Points 8.5, shall we? Um, we're in Verona's head and we're picking up right where the last chapter left off. Ray is leading a quick old investigation into Alexander's disappearance slash death. <laughs> um, yeah, I, I mean, I love how sort of right from the get-go the tension is elevated in this chapter. Like, one of the first things that happens is Durashay and the other, like, top-tier apprentices literally go and block all the exits, mm. which... I mean, I don't know if they were genuinely planning on running, but it still <laughs> like sends a message, right? Like it, it, it traps them in a way. Yeah, it's very yeah. constricting, right? And and so, mm. I mean, Verona in her head immediately jumps to, how can we run away from this? Quickly realizing they can't, but almost implying like, well, there's no way we'll be able to lie our way through the situation. So what other options mm. are there? And it's very much like Verona is panicking, looking for a way out. There clearly isn't one. And so we immediately set up that this chapter is kind of unwinnable in a weird way, which is a tense place to begin. Yeah, yeah, exactly. And then in amongst all that, uh, like Verona just feels like shit. We get paragraphs on this headache that's been coming and going and is really like bad at the moment. Mm. Uh, she's got like a a mysterious stomach ache that isn't at all exactly the kind she gets every time she's stressed in this exact um, situation yeah yeah uh and then like you know because it's verona she takes this fact like these facts that her body is like failing her and is like oh god i'm weak like my dad and fucking double downs on 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 how bad it is um mm. so like yeah she's just she's in a really bad space and she keeps trying to focus on like figuring like a way out but she gets distracted like her mind's all over the place it's very much not like the even in things like the fight against shelly like verona when she freaks out i think internally there's still a sort of calm focus to the way she tackles problems mm. like like she was panicking with the shelly stuff but she managed to kind of use that to push herself to focus here she's just kind of falling apart mm yeah she's not doing great is she i mean it's interesting because i think that if she was doing better they might not have actually made it out of this situation like yeah you know what i mean like the fact that they the fact that they that verona specifically is in such an emotionally damaged let's just say place it is why i think this works so well and that's what's great about this chapter oh, it's kind of like what Estrella says at the end where it's like oh just a happy coincidence um yeah <laughs> yeah, I yeah, I mean obviously, yeah, we'll cover all that, but I, I feel like I I like how that groundwork is laid right from the start here. Like, um I, I I think it was around this point in my live read where I was like, okay, so I just feel like Verona's about to explode. Uh let's see what happens when she does. And mm. it goes a lot better than I was expecting, I'm gonna be honest. But mm. um it's yeah, it's it's really cool how yeah, this chapter just sort of immediately sitting us with we're trapped, the stakes are high, I feel like shit, I feel like my dad, I'm not at a hundred percent. It's my own fault. Like, like Verona is just, yeah, on the brink right yeah. from the start. Yeah, indeed. Um, yeah. So uh, Lucy listens in with her implement as Ray is questioning America and Liberty Ted, and she and Verona are kind of taking notes on the questions that are being asked. Yeah, and it's like, so you were spot on last week with this being a perfect way for us to 
kind of retroactively get some insight on what interviews with the Kenneteers and the Kennet others were like in the first three arcs. <laughs> yeah. Um, like, I mean, again, the tension is sort of raised by Verona immediately being like, oh, those are tough questions without many sort of loopholes. Mm. Um, but I almost sort of put that aside. Like, I let that tension go and I was like, okay, what can I tell about the questions and how they're being asked that gives mm. me clues about the Kennet others? Yeah. Um, I love that we hear it from the other side because we just get to hear how Ray really isn't like isn't letting anyone have any wiggle room, right? Like mm. um, America gives a few kind of snarky answers, and they just don't let her not. <laughs> they don't let her not answer the question, and it's it really again helps ratchet up the tension of this proverbial net tightening around the trio. Yeah, yeah, and especially because like I, I think. Each of the people who's interviewed before the Kennedys are very well chosen because America and Liberty are the sort to just not answer questions like by their nature, um, and and so we sh- we sort of show Ray not letting them have wiggle room, like you said, and then to jump ahead a bit, like Fernanda's next, and Fernanda comes right after Nicolette introduces the whole, um, you know, some people were really relying on Alexander, and then we sort of get to see her deal with this while she's kind of stressed and and obviously we know that fernanda is like a bit of a genius manipulator so even seeing her not so get out of these questions Mm. really raises the stakes Mm. yeah yeah exactly um and then um i I mean the big tidbit that i think we get mm, dropped yes is um uh, like lucy over here is the cheating the system to kind of alter your mind and like allow you to lie by not knowing is something that the spirits really hate and like Chase says that if America and Liberty were doing that, then they'd be aware. Um, so, I mean, there goes my sort of major theory that I've had for like six arcs now about how the questions weren't answered. <laughs> yeah, I mean, I'm, I was kind of saddened that that theory has been put away, especially because obviously in the very, very first chapter, the Louise, uh, the Louise Bayer like prelude, um, you know, playing with memories was set up as something Matthew could do. So it kind of felt like it would play into it. But I am kind of, on the other hand, excited that's not necessarily a big part of the solution because it, it would feel maybe a little cheap. Yeah, I agree. Um, but I, I, I think the timing is very important here because, like, you know, I, I think people have been speculating about, like, this being a thing for a while. And, like, I, I think the reason Wabo would, would choose to address it, like, here at this point in the story is because, as you said, the, like, this is us being on the other side now like uh, mm. us and the kennedys are seeing what it's like to be questioned and so you're you're sort of primed to be looking for the ways people can get out of this stuff and this is Wilbo sort of saying hey that avenue that's not yeah what. that's not gonna like, be it yeah yeah um like, like technically you could argue that you know oh well the kennedys weren't good enough to have spotted the effects you know because mm. we don't know exactly what they are but like yeah, I, I'm more inclined, just maybe from a bit of a doyalistic perspective, to take this as Wildbo sort of saying, "That's not what it is. I mm. want you to look at the other stuff that the Kennedys are doing to dodge it in this chapter." Yeah, um, yeah, exactly. Um, so, I mean, this is this is a just a rough chapter for Verona in general, right? Yeah. Shall we? Shall we get in? Like, I don't know. I. I guess what I said before about how this is a chapter where Verona's emotional trouble kind of plays into the solution is true, but it does still hurt to see Verona 
having having this experience. Although the other, on the other hand, the the message here of Verona needing to learn to lean into her emotions a bit to solve problems is possibly a good one for her to learn. <laughs> yeah, well, she has this one point where she's sort of going like, oh, you know, so much of what I've been learning here is like the universe just telling me no. Like, you know, I yeah, I, I think of a cool idea and then you know, it doesn't work, or I want to become an other, and that's cool, and then Lucy says no. And and she sort of has this internal monologue where she basically does everything but actually say, I keep trying to bottle things up and do them myself, and it's not working, and uh, what could the solution to this problem possibly be? Mm. Um, and and this, it's like, you, you're sort of laying the groundwork for her to have that realisation mm. here, I think. Mm. Um, yeah. And then, wait, wait, just to speak on the bottling it up specifically, there's, like, this moment where she thinks back to um, how good she usually is at, like, deadening her emotions. Um, and then she's like, well, there was that one time with Cass and Yadira where I tried to go dead, and then I just sort of ended up, like, sad or something. That was weird. Um, and then she's, yeah, and then she goes back to thinking about how much worse things are now. And it's just like, oh, Verona, like, you need to... She keeps getting angry at her body for giving her these signals that it's like hurt, and it's like, yeah, but Verona, the problem is, it's because you're not listening to them. Um, yeah, <laughs> which is classic Verona, right? Like she just yeah. doesn't. I mean, yeah, literally, she doesn't listen to her emotions until they literally physically explode out of her. <laughs> it's like that—that's the part where you're being like your dad, reaching out and asking for help is not being your dad being your dad is like getting so stressed and sick that you start vomiting and just trying to shovel it away and not deal with the problem and not listen to your body mm. like yeah like yeah so I, I don't know i i but i get the impression we're laying the seeds that you know she's starting to make that realization i don't know it's pretty like this is core to verona's uh character is you know, not not listening to her emotions. So, I mean, maybe yeah. we'll eventually break through, but I feel like that's an end of the story kind of deal. It, it's just going to be really interesting to see what the the like fallout of this is for Verona. Like, what's she going to look like tomorrow? Mm-hmm. How how's like I I'm mostly excited to see how Lucy interacts with her after this as well. Like, is Lucy going to like poke and prod her to talk about the fact that she's stress vomiting and exploding into fits of laughter during murder investigations like mm. yeah yeah <sighs> so anywho um <laughs> as the the i keep wanting to say the trio but it's not it's two of the trio the duo <laughs> yeah. let's say as they're uh hanging out and, and listening to this interview with the teds nicolette wanders over to offer some context and advice and now you've written because she clearly knows they did it is that what you think i mean like yeah I don't know. I'm. I was kind of on the fence about whether she fully knew that they had done it or not. I think she's at least highly suspicious that they were involved, which is exactly correct. Um, I, I just, I don't know, because she sort of, she just comes up to them, and like Verona has this thought as well. Nicolette just sort of comes up to them. And she's like, "Yeah, oh, uh, you know, like sometimes people they'll keep coming after you because they want revenge, and sometimes you just have to put them down, and that sucks, mm. but it's the way it is." Yeah. Wink. Um, yeah. <laughs> uh, I, I very much bought into Verona's theory that she knows that they had something to do with it. Mm. Um, but yeah, I, I mean, you know, she gives a bunch of other information here. Like, yeah, there's this really cool setup where she sort of was like, um, you know, she, she doesn't seem thrilled 
about him being dead, but she's also kind of like, well, you know, he was doing a bunch of bad shit. Mm. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, no, he was. And well, look, maybe should we get into this now? Because what's happening here is uh, like, obviously, over the course of this chapter, we're in their heads and we get to the end of the chapter. And so I'm like thrilled that they've avoided, you know, spoiler alert for the end of this chapter, but I'm thrilled that they've avoided detection at this, at least so far. But then I had this moment of just like, I mean, they are. They're they're covering up a murder, right? Like, that's what's (laughs) happening here. It's a real are we the baddies moment. And so I I guess I kind of want to just dive into this now of like, how do we feel morally about this? (laughs) No, I I had the same sort of yo-yoing. Like, there's a bit where um, Lucy sort of brings up she doesn't like answering race questions because, you know, she she's learnt the hard way that authority, you know, might take what she says and twist it around yes. and use it to stab her in the back. Yes. And I was kind of like, yeah. Yeah, that's you right, tell Lucy, like, Oh, right, but, but no, wait. <laughs> actually, though, to be fair to Ray, in this situation, you are actually you are, covering up yeah, the murder. You are the, the, um, you are the person who has the most information <laughs> and is in the best position to actually, like, reveal how this murder has happened. Yeah, yeah. So, so I found myself doing the same flip-flopping where I was like, she's right, but also... Ray has a point too this time. Yeah. Uh, yeah. No, yeah. <laughs> so what do we think? Was Alexander's murder justified? I mean, my my own view Wait. I'm trying to concoct a way that the story backs this up, but I'm not getting mm. anything right now. Um but it just feels like I, I kind of agree with this idea that it was necessary is is the word I'd use. Like mm. not good, not bad, just kind of necessary. Yeah, no, definitely with the way he was talking to, um, to what was his Ted. name? Ted, right? Yeah, I got yeah. confused because that's the surname of, yeah. the, of American Liberty. I was like, hold <laughs> on, that can't be right. But yeah, with the way that, that he was talking to Ted and, and, you know, was basically going to turn him into a slave, effectively, it mm. was very much like, this guy just has to go. Uh, and it was, yeah. He was going to unleash like a Durashay monster. Like, it's just... Yeah, it, it felt necessary, but like the the fact that you have to cover it up and are like avoiding the people seeking justice, I suppose, like feels grimy. And you can get into arguments, I suppose, about whether like justice would actually be achieved here, um, or or whatever. But like, there's some. I, I feel like there's a bit of an acknowledgement that it's not a good thing with the Kennedys all vomiting about it and. Um, mm and them wanting to hide the fact. Mm. Yeah. So I feel I feel not 100% cool with the fact that we're still keeping this a secret. Okay, yeah. Okay, cool. I think I'm on the same page. Anywho, let, let's keep going. We can kind of ruminate on this a bit more. Sure. Um, there's uh, a... Oh, t- sorry, mm. to, to jump back to Nicolette quickly, because yes. that's where we were, right? Um, yeah. Verona looks at her in the site, and it's cool as hell. I just want to call that out as like a moment where like Verona looks at Nicolette through her sight and and like I don't know it's just awesome like Nicolette has all these uh like metal things in her head and stuff presumably relating to her um I, I think she has a hearing aid or something doesn't she mm. like you know due to like all the crap that happened to her in that shower like it's just it's just a really cool framing for the whole thing like seeing it through Verona's sight and like we we have that knowledge to be able to piece together oh this is related to her head injury whereas Verona's like cool Mm. (laughs) yeah um 
The, yeah, this the when I looked at when we got this look into Nicolette with the glasses thing, where her glasses show these spirits things. It's just, I mean, I knew it was from these from her head injury stuff, but it's just so creepy and weird. <laughs> like it really was unsettling to me, right? Yeah, and Verona's sight never helps with that. Yeah, <laughs> so, yeah, true. <laughs> framing things in terms of being lumps of skin wrapped in plastic or whatever the fuck yeah um so uh, there's something interesting that we get out of this that we get out of this with the the america being questioned and also next chapter as well um like well interesting Uh, different reasons nicolette gives different reasons why people would have been upset that alexander's dead and it's not necessarily because they liked him although we'll get to that with america next chapter he was just such a like figurehead of the community that a lot of deals are riding on him. And so there's a lot of deals and power struggles that are now like completely fucked up because Alexander has been wiped off the board. And it it's interesting because I I didn't really consider people would give a shit about Alexander's death because he, he was kind of a scumbag, right? But <laughs> it, so much was riding on him in more ways than than I expected. I just think that makes for an interesting escalation. Yeah, exactly. Because it's like even if a lot, like a lot of these people and these families are just the fucking worst, I'm still gonna have a bit of sympathy for someone whose entire life gets like ripped out from under them like this. Mm. Uh, like even if I think maybe there'll be net positive gains from some of this toxic society getting like uprooted a bit. Yeah, it, you know, it's understandably shitty if you think if you've worked hard to be in a good position. Yeah. And it gets taken away from you. I mean, like, Chase is probably a pretty good example, right? Or Fernanda yep. as a as a as an extension of that, of like <laughs> Imagine being Chase and you defect to Bristow. Bristow dies. You have nothing there. You're like, okay, maybe I can come back crawling back to Alexander. Alexander dies, and you're just like completely fucked. Like Chase is just completely fucked, right? Yeah. Yeah, exactly. And it's like, I, I don't know, because like, there's other parts to this. Like, you know, they did a lot of shitty things. Chase is a shitty person. But yeah, I like, yeah, I, I don't know. I still feel bad for them. And I hope that they can sort of land on their feet in a way that is healthier. Mm. Uh, yeah. Um, yeah. W- yeah. God, it's just a mess of a situation, isn't it? <laughs> yeah. I, yeah. I mean, the yeah, the, the trio really came into this school and just kind of flipped the table uh, in a very fun way <laughs> and and in a way that was completely justified because everyone was just fucking with them 24 7 like yeah i love yeah. Veroda's speech about that at the end of the chapter yes. she does she just break down she's like we fucking just wanted to learn and these two kept coming at us and it was just like i i, I wanted to stop i kept giving them out and so they wouldn't fucking take them and it was like yep pretty much like yeah uh they they didn't know when to stop pushing and and they got got for it, but uh, mm. yeah. I, I, the last thing with this Nicolette uh, thing that I wanted to bring up is uh, Nicolette sort of brings up she's like really good at helping people who've hit rock bottom, um, but she doesn't know how to help the Kenneteers. And Verona's like, wait, so what are we then if we're not rock bottom? And Nicolette gives this description that I would kind of summarize as she sees them on being the ro- on the road to the top, mm. uh, like. Uh, yeah, like very weirdly affirming. Nicolette seems to look at these three, and, and the impression I got was that she thinks they're on the road to become, yeah, the next sort of group of big figureheads in the community. Mm, yeah, which is crazy to think about. But also, I mean, 
the reason that they're able to do that is because they're doing something that is truly revolutionary, which is working with others, not taking advantage of slash, you know, <laughs> dominating to their will others, right? Like that's really their yeah. so- the source of their power is just they're not subjugating a a sentient group of of people. Oh, not just others, aware fucking yes. even other practitioners. Yes. Yeah. Like they just reach out to people and that's like, yeah, they're on this road of fucking over people who are being toxic and not being toxic. That's kind of all they're doing with like all this power behind them. But yeah, it's um uh yeah, I like I don't know. I, I'm so interested to see where this goes and how right Nicolette is, because I hope she's right. Mm. Yeah. Um so yeah, Nicolette leaves to help interview Fernanda and Lucy and Verona are gonna try and brainstorm ideas, but they are interrupted by Zach and Sal, who are much too keen to chat to them. <laughs> um I love this little detail, just as Nicolette leaves. Uh it's she sort of makes this comment about how like Oh, Fernanda sat on this box, which made her look really small, and she had to look up at the interviewers. I wonder if she thought about that. And it was like, we've been in Fernanda's head. We know that she mm. absolutely did that on purpose. Like, mm. that is everything she thinks about is positioning relative to others. And she, like, you know, gets Nicolette to come up and hug her. It's um, it, it's a really fun example. Like, and we're going to talk about it in the next chapter, too. There's, like, that classic Walbo thing where you get to see the protagonists through the eyes of another character and get, like, an extra perspective on them. And this mm. is like the the cool way of doing the opposite as well, where we can pick up on little extra details about the side characters because we've been in their head. Yeah, yeah, it's great, isn't it? I, we'll get a few moments in the next chapter as well where Lucy does something and we just see, like we see exactly what it is, but Liberty has no idea what it is. And it's just, I love those moments where you're just like, oh, we know what's going on there. Yeah, like, yeah, exactly. It's a little throwaway line in the interlude yes. for us. It's like, ooh. And, it and means this so is, much yeah. more, yeah. And this is the same, but in reverse. This is, uh, like, Fernanda having a little throwaway moment in Rona's head, and we're like, ooh, I don't yes. know what that is. <laughs> yes, exactly. Um, but yeah, a- again, like, the, the temperature dial on, on Verona's, cook, like, pressure mm. cooker situation keeps getting turned up here. Yeah, the bubbling um, of her stomach acid, let's call yeah. it. Yeah. <laughs> um, like, obviously, Sal and Zach come over, and so then there's like they can't actually just sort of talk openly so that that's another thing and verona has a hilarious internal response to like them coming over calling them goblins um yeah in fact she has a couple of those moments but um there's also like she she ends up having to take these pills uh that came from the brownies which to me just felt like you know they decided not to cross that line anymore they're not eating the brownie food Mm. and then they still have to take pills that come for the brownie, but like Verona's like, it's, it's gone that far, like we need to do it. And so it's just sort of like, you know, that just raises the, the stakes a bit, I think. Mm. Mm. Yeah. Uh, yeah, it's all just dialing up as we get there. Um, yeah, I, I like that they don't get a moment to chillax. Like, I, I kind of feel bad for them, but it works for them because if Verona had a moment to chill, I think what would have happened at the end to get them out of this wouldn't have happened. But mm. I, I do just, the tension in this chapter is very fun. Yeah, it's a great read. Yeah, um, it's also like having Zach and Sal come over is a great like diegetic way of hiding the plan from us. Like they don't get to say the plan out loud, mm. so we kind of don't get to hear it. Um, mm. Which is like I, I always like when there's a good way to not tell us the plan. Mm. Um, I, I, in another way as well, like I, I thought this was a funny little thing because they can't manage to get out of this line of questioning from Sal and Zach, like how they meant to get out of the real. Like, if, if you can't fucking dodge Zach and Sal's question, 
<laughs> like, what are you going to do yeah, when you get to Rome? You got no, you got no chance. <laughs> um, yeah, and yeah, well, yeah. Verona has this sort of meltdown halfway through, and I think this is the point where she gets back on track. Like, I find this super interesting. Interesting. Like, uh, so Zach and Sal will sort of like, oh, you you don't want like a, a husband, and Verona briefly like pictures herself, you know, being like a wife to uh, Zach. I think, mm. and it's really funny because it's like this little scenario where they've got a nice little house, they have nice kids, and it's like, you could almost see that being somebody else's, like, ideal future. Uh, like, you know, just add a bit of travel in there, and that could be, like, Avery's ideal future. Um, mm. Mm. But, like, Verona looks at it, pulls out all of the, the work and effort that would go into raising kids, and it's just like, no, like, like, fuck this, I'm not on that traditionally successful life path that Nicolette thinks I'm on. I want, and, and it's like that, that actually somehow pulls her back. This is the moment where she starts to become centered. And it's like right from here that she starts to think about like how Marissica handled their interview, which, you know, I'm not thrilled about the fact that she goes from, you know, <laughs> like, oh, you know, who do I want to be to, oh, Tim, oh about Marissica. Marissica. <laughs> yeah, I know. What a weird pick. <laughs> She's going through all the positive influences uh, of, you know, the Kenneth others. And then she lands on Marissica and goes, hold on a minute. <laughs> Yeah, but I mean, the fact that Marisco is so sneaky is what makes it a, a, a yeah. useful strategy, right? Exactly. Like, like that's the whole thing. I I want to criticize this, but it does work. This is yeah. This thought is what pulls Verona out of her spiral and actually gets her back in the zone. It's it works. Uh, like spoilers, but yeah. But it's just like it was just kind of funny that like the ownness of her being like, "What do I want to be?" Mm. Hmm, remember when we interviewed Marcy? Uh, yeah, I, like. Yeah, uh, it's weird that they don't. <laughs> I mean, we all know it as the audience. It's weird that they don't. There's no moment where Verona stops to think, "Hey, wait, that worked really well." That... <laughs> yeah, <laughs> like I'm, I'm sure we... it's coming. I'm, I'm... <laughs> surely, right? Surely like, they'll I'm... stop. Yeah, yeah. I was sorry. I was gonna say yeah. Surely, like eight point six will be like a Lucy chapter, and Lucy's just gonna have like sit down the other two and be like, right. So we did exactly what Marcy and Edith did. And we got out fucking scot free. Mm. We got to go talk to those two again. <sighs> yeah, hopefully that will happen. I mean, they they aren't <laughs> that even Verona isn't that non self aware, right? No, but she's going through a lot right now. I'll give her a pass for not noticing in this chapter. She's she's got other stuff going on. Yeah. Um. So yeah, I I love this vibe of Salvador basically taking any opportunity, including this one that is totally not appropriate, to just be wingmanning and and you know upping Zachariah to to the ladies <laughs> in the class. <laughs> what a total dork. Uh. Yeah. I mean. Yeah. Like read the room, my man. Um. But you know, I'm actually gonna I'm gonna give Zach some points for this. Like I I I thought Zach was pretty cool. Like he apologizes for Salvador and Salvador's whole deal, he actually, like, asks good questions to the Kenneteers based on their responses. Like, when they say something, he actually follows it up with, like, a question that shows he cares about what they said. Mm. Um, yeah, I actually sort of left this, and I was like, yeah, obviously he's a bit, like, a socially awkward. Like, there's a bit where he starts talking about, like, his auntie who has a mallet for a implement or something, and at least he's kind of mm. like, yeah, that's great. Um, <laughs> yeah, yeah, okay, okay. Uh, yeah, I, I'm like, you know, it's like, he's really, like, yeah, a bit socially awkward, but, like, overall I was like, is he nice and cool? Like, it's just not what I would have expected from the hot girl totemus. Mm. Also, he he's just saying things to Sal, like, you know, fucking stop and, and, you know, don't 
don't do this. And I, like, I went back and reread Zach's appearance. Like, do you remember in 4.9, he was like their buddy for making that little doll? Um, and they sapped him dry of all the power. Mm. Like, I, I went back and reread that. In that, like, again, he's kind of cool, bit, bit of a bumbling, like, socially awkward idiot. But in that one, he was just almost obsessed with, like, Sal and making sure Sal thought he was cool. So I kind of like, he seems to have grown up a little bit in the meantime. And he's, he's a bit more willing to tell Sal to stop being a dick when he is. So, yeah, again. Seems nice. Seems like yeah, a chill we- guy. Weirdly impressed with Zach. Thumbs up, Zach. You can join the team. <laughs> mm. um, in fact, there's a great moment. Sorry, just to speak of though, like there's a moment where Verona sort of says, "Oh yeah, the other augurs have been like after more information on us. They might try to get some of that out of this uh, secondary to their investigation." And Zachariah's like, "You really think they'd do that right after Alexander dies?" It's like everyone else is just immediately like, "Yep." Mm-hmm. Um, like he's just <laughs> he's just a bit a bit innocent again for the hot girl totemist. I really wouldn't have expected somebody who's just a bit like a uh, bit innocent. Uh, yeah, <laughs> he's, I mean, you really do get the sense that he's just kind of got embroiled in all this stuff by mistake. <laughs> yeah, I, I get the impression he's just following Sal. Like, again, with the hot girl totemist stuff, that wasn't even really him in 4.9. He was like, yeah, I did it like once and they started selling. So I did it for money. And then Sal says I should commit to it, but I don't really want to. Mm-hmm. So it's like, yeah, I think, I think he just follows Sal into all these shitty situations. And maybe he's finally going to stop doing that. I hope so. We'll see. Um, but yeah, so Verona and Lucy eventually get the call that it's their turn to be questioned. They manage to borrow a page from Marcy's playbook and just kind of whittle down the number of Inquisitors to just Ray and Nicolette, which is a great move to start with. I do quickly want to say that um, as they're going up to get interviewed, they go. Uh, Verona is describing the scene as they walk past, and one of the things she mentions is, at the front of the room, Mrs. Ferguson was with her son holding his arm and apparently forcing a conversation with Raquel, mm. which I just... <laughs> and Verona I... thinks I'd rather swap positions <laughs> with you. I don't know if that would, if she actually <laughs> would want to. Like, <laughs> I think there's just a bit of grass is greener syndrome there. Yeah, it's, it, it might actually be on par. Um, yeah, I, yeah, I don't know. I just, I just had such a good chuckle at that. Like, we just throw in a quick reminder of how terrible Mrs. Ferguson is and the horror there. Uh, mm. this chapter yeah um, yeah genuinely i think i'd rather be in for in a situation than <laughs> souls <laughs> um but yeah so that yeah you're right like one of the first things they do is, is like uh verona uses i'm pretty sure it's like one of marcy's tricks about like like one of the tricks marcy taught them was like how to challenge an unfair contest and mm. i kind of feel like that's that's what she channels here she's sort of like there's so many of you and we have bad relationships with you like we only yes. trust you too and yeah, somehow it works. Everyone else just leaves. And I was like, oh, shit, okay. Yeah, it's a great move. <laughs> um, and then it gets weird because Verona has this moment. It's like the first time she laughs. Like, like mm. obviously, this is this is an important three-beat in the chapter that gets called out. But um, I just love it because, like, Verona, yeah, she, she sort of has this. She's like, this is why I needed to be, like, emotionally balanced so that I could like start at neutral and force myself to laugh and it's like as she does it's like the entire room fell silent like conversations everywhere stop and even like lucy looks freaked out that's funny because i think verona thought that lucy was in on the plan mm. and like you could just imagine verona saw this as like her having a chuck or whatever but like i get the impression it came out as like a full marissica like evil 
villain chuckle. You know, like I always imagine Rissica laughing like, <laughs> and <laughs> like, like I imagine that's what Verona did here. Yeah, <laughs> sure. I don't know if it was if it's such a gleeful laugh. Not not quite a witchy poo laugh like that, but like like fucking evil villain in the shadows chuckling laugh is definitely what I picture in my head. Interesting. <laughs> I mean, Lucy seems to be quite surprised at the craziness that Verona is, yeah. uh, uh, you know, Verona is effectively unraveling right in front of her here, right? <laughs> yeah, yeah. I mean, the scariest part is that Verona is imitating a fairy scarily eff- effectively here. Yeah, yeah, she does well here. Um, yeah, we, we've already touched on the fact that they're just copying Marcy. <laughs> I, I, I'm so surprised that they call that out explicitly as, let's do what Marcy did. And never, it doesn't come up in front of his head of like, should we question her again now that we've seen how well this works? Yeah, I mean, it's funny because I remember like it was, it would have been back in like 2.2 and 2.3 when that interview happened. And I remember at the time, most of the fandom was sort of like, um, she clearly just dodged all your fucking questions, gang. Like, mm-hmm. what are we, what are we doing? And to say, like, hopefully this will be the point where they realize that and, and add it to their list of to do's when they go back to Kenneth. Yeah. <sighs> yeah, I mean, I'm assuming they'll have other things to worry about when they get back to Kennet, but if not, oh, it's just... definitely this is something you should worry about. I'm sure they're just going to go back to Kennet and things will be normal and fine. Like, you know, I, I've read enough Wabo stories to know that it's just going to be fine and calm when they get back there. Mm. Yeah, yeah. Um, <laughs> I doubt it will be fine and calm. <laughs> we'll see. <laughs> um, so, anywho... Uh, so with only Ray and Nico questioning them, they manage to basically answer enough questions to buy them space to make a play. Friendly gets emotional. They manage to dodge the stricter follow-ups and get excused. So great work by the team. Yeah. Um, and I mean, obviously, like as we sort of touched on, this whole chapter is really tense. And like this was, I was on like the edge of my seat because knowing what they're doing and seeing it from the other side this time, it was so transparent how Verona and Lucy were trying to dodge the questions. Mm. And it's like every time Ray would be like, oh, yes, fair enough. Well, let me clarify and just like sort of respond to them trying to weasel out of it by just closing off that avenue. It's like you could just feel the noose tightening mm. as the conversation kept going. And I was just like, oh, my God. Like, I yeah, I was on the edge of my seat. Um, and then, you know, it's sort of, yeah, the tension keeps escalating and escalating until uh verona snaps yeah yeah i mean it's good stuff it's uh yeah it's a it's a really good move it's a really good solid play like we know ray doesn't deal well with people getting emotional so the play is get emotional get him to make a mistake and not follow up then we're you know two thumbs up we're in a great position and it just is it works brilliantly Uh, yeah but i think what's really interesting about it is i i don't think that was the plan like the plan was to be like evil supervillain Marissica uh, mm. and dodge the questions. I, I think Verona exploding here in the way she does isn't quite what she had pictured. I mean, obviously, as you said, it works. Um, but I think this is the part where uh, when Estrella says like, oh, happy coincidence. Like, I think this is that part. It's just, you know, she Verona overshoots it goes for something completely different to what she was actually going for and it works and 
I mean, the other thing that it is, is it's not Marissa anymore. This is exactly what Edith did when they tried to interview her. Mm. Um, like, remember, she she got heated, uh, literally, mm. and stormed off. Um, <laughs> literally, you fucking um, weeb. It, it, it was textual. Um, yeah, yeah. But yeah, uh, so yeah, like, like, you know, it's sort of, she goes from, yeah, doing a Marcy to doing an Edith, which again, looks real bad for the two of them. Mm. Um and and yeah, also tells me that we need to do another Edith interview. Although I think at this point we're all pretty sure that Edith's either a hell of a red herring or um yeah or, or primo guilty yeah. <laughs> a culprit. Um, yeah. Uh, but yeah, no. So it's 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 again funny that they just lean into two distinctly Kenneth other strategies for dealing with this interview and haven't mm-hmm. brought it up yet. Yeah. Um. But yeah, I mean. You did good, Verna. You do well. You do well here. You get him out of the situation. It's it, yeah. I, it's such a weird vibe of like Verna's emotional collapse is what gets them out of this. Yeah, like part of me is torn between like, hey, well, if you're gonna do big emotional explosions, this is the way to do them, and also, hey, don't do big emotional explosions. Mm. Um, like this isn't good for you. Mm. Uh, yeah. I, again, I can't wait to see. Uh, the the sort of you know impact of this like a day or so later, like yeah, how, yeah. Like, especially what it's going to do to Lucy. I feel like Lucy's going to take it on to try and help Verona. Well, yeah. I mean, how would you react to this in this situation? I guess a uh, you did great, but can we yeah. <laughs> talk about that? <laughs> Listen, great meltdown, perfect timing, top notch. Should we stop doing those though? Yeah, like this one was great, but but there's got to be a better way. um yeah i mean we've already talked about the morality of whether it's fine for them to be covering up a murder which is something that happens here Mm. um (laughs) i guess let's uh let's go ahead to touch on what happens next which is they're kind of free from this ordeal right they 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 get out of it um and so they regroup with avery before estrella comes over and congratulates them on their performance yeah, um, and the other thing that happens here is obviously they're reunited with Avery, and I just wanted to call out what might be one of the funniest moments in the story so far, mm. which is when Avery comes over and she's like, how bad was it? And Lucy sort of shrugs, and then Verona says, I want to go home. Mm. And Avery's like, holy shit, <laughs> like, that's pretty bad. Um, yeah, I, I just love that moment. Like, you know, Verona goes on to clarify, she just means Kenneth. Um, but I feel like there's no better way to sort of sell where Verona is at mentally to mm. us after a quick mm. break than having her open with I want to go home. Yeah, no, it's uh <sighs> yeah, clearly she's she's not doing so hot. <laughs> yeah. Um <sighs> it's a weird cap on this situation, right? Like we kind of I, I know I at least kind of felt like, oh shit, they did something good here. They got out of this 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 terrifying situation they've they've managed to buy themselves space but immediately estrella's like no i saw exactly what you did and she calls it Mm. a beginner trick as well which implies this was not as good of a play as we might have thought and maybe they're not actually out of the woods yeah and i mean obviously next chapter we find out that some goblins fucking saw so it's just like you know i i feel like this is do you remember back in like arc two Mm. when the the Kenneth others kept being like, oh, we just need to keep the practitioners out. And then the practitioners kept showing up and mm. we were like, 
okay, this isn't going to last, right? Like, you know, mm. you, the, the secret is out. Somebody's going to give. I feel like that with this Alexander thing. It's like so many people know. Like, at this point, I'm pretty convinced that Nicolette, Liberty, and Estrella and Silas are all pretty positive, like, that the Kenneteers are involved. Mm. So it's not staying a secret. And that is what everyone no. says. But it's kind yeah. of like, how do you. Yeah, like, I feel like this is going to be really important to the themes of the story. Like, how do we address this? Where do we go from here? If John is going to be on the hook, how does this affect, like, the concepts of justice? Like, we've heard practitioners are meant to police others. Mm. So, like, are we going to get to pull on some fucking ancient Solomon bullshit to learn, like, how that's meant to work? Like, um, like you know, is there some sort of right to a trial or whatever? Um how does this affect John's eligibility for the Carmine Beast role? Like, I mean, like is there's... he going to have to become the Carmine Beast to get out of this situation? Like, yeah, yeah, there's just a lot of stuff going on, right? Uh, yeah, exactly. Like, I can't, I can't sort of wait to see how it all plays plays out. I feel like this is going to be a lot to do with the intersection of Kennet and the the Blue Heron Institute in the story, and thematically, it makes so much sense if it ties into these concepts of justice. Like, yeah, I can't wait. Yeah, yeah. um Um, yeah oh and so back to back to estrella um yeah she does point out that it was like beginner fey level stuff but honestly like that's still a bit of a compliment of how good your uh you know your impression of a fairy is that it was beginner (laughs) fairy level yep fair enough i guess that is a compliment when you think about it that way i mean marissica's a young fairy so technically she could be maybe a beginner fairy Mm. um yeah sure potentially <laughs> is that something we want <laughs> um i don't know um the other thing I, I wanted to pull out i don't know if we ever did we call out there was a pale predictor theory that we talked about once privately but i don't know if we brought to the the, the show which is that toad slow is a winter fairy mm. um and I, like just if i could play in that person's tinfoil for a bit, i mean it um, is a good one it is a very <laughs> good crazy theory um one of the things Estrella brings up here is she's like, oh, I met this, like, winter fae who was kind of broken and, um, you know, would just say, I dare say a lot. That jumped out to me. And I, I double-checked this using uh, the Google. Toad Swallow says, I dare say, a whole bunch. Mm. Um, and that would be a fairly broken role for a fairy to fall into, is, like, playing the role of some fucking goblin. Um, Interesting. I mean, sure, I guess. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, Snowdrop, wait, the reason this jumped out to me is because there's this weird moment where Estrella sort of says the I dare say, I dare say, and then Snowdrop echoes it. Mm. And I was like, why? Like, mm. why as well put this in here? And I was like, well, you know, Toadslaw is affiliated with uh, Snowdrop. So, yeah, I don't, wait, I get, I don't know that I necessarily buy this theory, but, um, okay. like, if you are a proponent of this theory, fuck it, your, your tinfoil's got to be a rustling after this little drop from Estrella. Yes, for sure. <laughs> it's a strong theory, but I don't know if it's one I can get behind, I think. Um, yeah, I don't know if I'm willing to commit to it yet, but like, yeah, it, it's fu- it's a fun one. Mm. Um, and then uh, my more reasonable and my own tinfoil uh, for this one might sort of be uh, next chapter, we get uh, the information from America that Estrella, this conversation doesn't actually just end here, but Estrella introduces them to Silas, her brother. Um, and it's just, so the things we know about Estrella, really, like, the main thing is that as well as being, like, a winter fairy practitioner, mm. she's, like, a mastermind at playing their games with them. Like, that's how she's introduced in the dossiers. 
uh, sorry, not the dossiers, the student guide. So the fact that she's like some mastermind fairy level player spotted Verona acting at like newbie fairy level and has suddenly taken them under her wing. Like that, I, I, I'm going to keep my eye on Estrella. Fair yeah, enough. I, I'm calling it now. There's 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 going to be something up with Estrella. She's she's making moves or something. Hmm. Mm. Yeah. I don't know what those moves would be. I don't know if she's like gunning for principal seems pretty ambitious, like an 18 year old. But um, yeah, she's going to be up to something. Hmm. Hmm. Yeah. Yeah. We'll see. I suppose. Um. And with uh with that Estrella introduction, the the Estrella coming in to really throw a wrench into the plans, uh, it ends that chapter, it ends 8.5. So um, let, let's dive into Vanishing Points 8.A next, which is our Liberty interlude. And from the very first word, we know we're in Liberty's head, which means we know what we're in for this chapter. Uh, as Liberty yes. heads through the forest, surrounded by goblins, we know shenanigans are afoot. <laughs> yes, 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 yes. Anytime I, I, goblins I, are the focal point of a chapter, things are going to be pretty good. <laughs> Yeah, I, like immediately from reading the first sentence of this interlude, I was like, oh, I'm fucking down. Let's do this. Um, and it was a lot sweeter than I pictured. Yeah, I mean, let's talk about this because Liberty seems just like a very kind character. Like, she's great. She's she clearly somebody who likes the goblins that she surrounded herself with, but there's this weird vibe where she's kind of like nice. Like, we introduced to her and she's giving prizes to these goblins, which is great. And a, a kind of a bad read would be she's encouraging them to fight amongst themselves so she can he- see who the cream of the crop is. But as we've seen of goblins, we don't need to offer them prizes to encourage them to fight amongst themselves. <laughs> like This is just like a bit of kind flair to add to it. Um, reminding me of, of course, the chicken nugget scenes when uh, yeah. I think it was just Verona interviewing the the, gob- the Kenneth goblins, right? Yeah, I, I think there's a lot to explore b- with comparisons between the Kenneteers and both Liberty and America that we'll probably yes. get to towards yes. the end. Um, but yeah, you're, you're right. I, I, I think right from the get go, it's quite kind of established that she's got a real kindness to her, but still is very much a goblin princess. And, and it's like this right from the start, it's this sort of perfect lens to explore that like these stereotypes aren't always so extreme or black and white. Like goblins have been so tied to like violence and chaos throughout the whole story. Um, and this chapter kind of introduces that, you know, there's, I mean, that's true, but there's method to the madness. Like, they're not just little chaos machines. Mm. Or being associated with violence and chaos doesn't make them a- antithetical to, like, kindness and supporting each other. Yeah, and I mean, the fact that we we hear about more subclasses of goblin than any other type of other, right? Like, yeah. And partly that's because it's nonsense, but partly I think that's just because <laughs> goblins seem to be among the most varied kind of other that we've ever seen, right? And and with that, like some of them j- must just fall into very interesting places. Yeah, like I'm sure, I'm sure there are goblins who warrant the you know specifically violent parts of their category and stuff. But you know, even Blunt Munch is a pretty cool dude, but like he, he does go off and try to make like dogs in his spare time, you know? Mm. Um so yeah, well, you know, there 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 is ugliness and violence to some of them, sure, but it's it's like again, what we see here is that there's room to be distinctly goblin while at the same time not being like an evil piece of shit, you know? Mm. Mm. Yeah. Um 
So yeah, Liberty and America reach where they're going, and after getting all the goblins to quieten down, America starts consulting with the goblin sage. <laughs> um, yeah, and I mean, the, the relationship, Liberty in particular, but also a little bit America, have with mm. the goblins is very fun, because like, mm. as I was reading it, it was like, they didn't feel like, you know, practitioners who had bound these things and who were like their taskmasters. They almost feel more like nannies, or like dog sitters like you know it's just like they've got this fucking rabble of tiny goblins just being chaotic and it's like it's it's like you know like a teacher at a bit of preschool you've got like these 30 kids going and you're like oh, fuck like throw some candy in the bush mm. um you know like just distract distract the kids you know like it's it's um such a weirdly heartwarming vibe <laughs> it is isn't it it's 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 great I I love everything about the goblins, obviously. I love this goblin sage that is just <laughs> some other goblin that's, I guess, America is getting to play this part, or maybe it's just a goblin who just kind of does this. <laughs> like, God knows what it is, but just goblins are the fucking best. <laughs> yeah, I mean, he's incredible. I Because we got introduced to this guy, and there was that point where, like, Snowdrop was like, he's very old and very wise. Or, or mm. she, sorry, she said the opposite. She said he's not old and he's not wise. Um, mm. Yes. And I was sort of like, wait, okay, hold on. Like, he's clearly yeah. neither of those things. What? <laughs> but the role he plays just affords him some kind of, I don't know, yeah, leeway or something, you know? I, I wonder, it takes me back. Do you, do you remember when um when we were learning about the Oni and there was that, like, knowledge drop that where they made, like, every third big statement a lie? Mm. By like just e- if everyone agreed that that was a rule of discourse, then the spirits like okay it. Mm. Um, I, like I wonder if this is like just the thing the goblins have all decided that the sage is very old and very wise, and so that makes it okay to say. <laughs> yeah, I mean maybe that's it. <laughs> maybe that's it. I don't know. Um, but, but yeah, but you're right. Just like this, this whole concept, like it's it's like the. Because I guess the goblins need some sort of order and structure to their society, and so the way they do it is just uh, just like, like goblins... making a goblin some random figurehead like this. Yeah, but like again, like goblins are kind of the the ugly truth to humanity, right? Mm. And so it's like you know, like I think what what goblins often do is strip away the things humans make up about ourselves. Like you know, fairy are the opposite. Fairy are all fanciful and. Um, you know, high society, and that's really all, all bullshit. Like, you know, when it comes down to it, we're all kind of goblins under the hood. And that said, the goblins do sort of need some society. So it's like when they do that, they do it in the most like blatantly fake way possible. It's like, okay, we're going to do this, but we're going to make it clear that this is actually bullshit. So we're going to put some runt in charge who wears a plastic bag and call him the mighty sage or whatever. Mm-hmm. Um, like, I, I think it's a really fun way of sort of getting the goblins to do this sort of thing in a way that they're like, yeah, we know this is bullshit, but you need these acts. Yeah, I guess you need, maybe that. Maybe that's how the goblins are able to skirt around and become so varied is because they can just kind of have that strength in numbers vibe. Um, yeah, exactly. Lend those numbers to the bullshit that they do. Um, <laughs> and maybe it's just because we're in Liberty's head, but I know that's not true. Uh, Goblins are adorable as well. Like we meet Flops <laughs> Left, who is named for his ear that only flops to the left, which is such an adorable. It's like he's being set up to 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 explicitly have adorable, cute traits, right? <laughs> yeah, yeah, um, um, yeah, 
Yeah, no, I agree. Like, again, this is one of the moments where she reminds me a bit of Verona because she takes something that I think if we saw, like, an artist's rendition of Flops Left that was accurate, you'd be like, that's fucking gross. Um, but America just sort of plops him on her belly and, like, gives him pats. Um, and that's, like, a very Verona thing to do, to just sort of, like, look past any sort of ugly exterior and, and get to the creature beneath. Mm. Yeah, yeah, you're right. It's another link between the Kenneteers and the Teds. Um, uh, and, and like, uh, so mm. America even gives a speech as well. Um, because she gives this speech here about like you know why she wants to get revenge for Alex, and part of her speech is like, oh, humans suck, and you know I'm with goblins because you respect me, um, because you're real and and blah blah blah. Again, that felt very Verona, like the whole humans suck. I want to be with people who like get it, who get me. Yeah, yeah, yeah. No, you're right. Like, the more we see of the Teds, the more I think they're, they'd be perfect to join Team Kenneteer. Oh, yeah. Liberty for fifth Kenneteer. Absolutely. Mm-hmm. Uh, sorry. Oh, with Snowdrop as number four, is that right? Yes. Yes. Right. Of course. No, I mean Tashlet. Or, uh, hmm. Jeremy? There's so many options. <laughs> <laughs> Jeremy's the fourth Kenneteer. We all know it, all right? Um, <laughs> as soon as he gets awakened. Anyway, uh... So yeah, the the great sage, the great goblin sage. <laughs> I'm just gonna pretend he's a real character. The great goblin sage gives his blessing for the Teds to go after the Kenneteers for their part in ruining Alexander. Uh, yeah, and, and I, they do. Yeah, I mean it's it's at this point you already brought it up last chapter, but I think this is you know this is when we realize the Kenneteers are the baddies because the great sage has said that it's so. Mm-hmm. So yep. um. And he can't be wrong. He's so wise. In fact, I don't think this is an interlude. This is the start of the, the shift in the story perspective. Now that the Kenneteers have become the baddies, yes. uh, Liberty and America are going to be the two POVs. I mean, should we talk about um, America's perspective on why she's been wronged here? Because Zed kind of set it up as this punchline to a joke, right? But that's clearly not at all what it is when we see inside America's head. She actually yep. genuinely liked Alexander because he was one of a very small set of people who was actually nice to her. And interestingly, I feel like of all the people who are on Alexander's side, America Ted is probably the only one who was kind of genuine about it. Like, <laughs> yeah. not just on his side for power reasons, but because she actually was loyal to him, the person, Alexander, not the figurehead. Yeah, because I mean, look, obviously Alexander had his issues. Like, we, we are all very aware of that fact. But... um. I think that was one of his redeeming features. And Verona went on about it in her speech last chapter. Like one of the cool things was, is he genuinely loved the practice and was curious about all sides of it. And I think like just a happy accident as a part of that is that he'd treat all sorts of different practitioners with respect because he wants to be able to learn from them and, and tap them when he needs to. And that includes mm -hmm. America. It's, it's like, you mm -hmm. know, yeah, that's like one of those good parts of alexander's legacy is that he was actually fair to someone like america when a lot of people aren't mm. yeah and i mean probably it was a manipulation but still yeah yeah oh yeah exactly but it's like you know like as you said zed zed set up as the punchline to the joke like a lot of other people just don't take goblins and goblin practitioners seriously and alexander did and that's you know one of the good things that he did mm. You know, mm. it's worth, worth pointing out because you don't see him that often. Um, yeah. yeah, I guess not. Huh? <laughs> uh. and, and so before they head off to war, and obviously we'll, we'll talk about this a lot during the fight as well, but um, 
like Liberty sort of makes it clear as they're heading out that she doesn't want to do this. She's tired. She's yes. fucking sick of all this fighting. Yeah. Um. Uh. But she says they kind of have to do it because she made a deal uh, early on with America that they wouldn't yeah. let their sisterhood slip away like so many other sisters do. So yeah. they, she sort of has this old oath and she has to stick by America's side. Um. And I feel like, like it's a really interesting point because this comes up right before the section break and it's like this sort of leads you into this headspace I think of like like I, I started wondering like you know what is the line between helping and like enabling like mm. at what point are you actually helping America yeah. by not having her back and telling her to stop yeah it's a good question because like we don't know the wording of the deal but yeah I, I would assume that uh helping America get away to safely and you know, reasonably grieve this emotional impact that she's clearly had without declaring war on the Kenneteers is probably a great way to help her. Um, yeah, exactly. And, and again, wait, the, the other side of that is like when helping her is hurting yourself, like where, yes. do, you, yeah. where do you have to draw this line? Like, where does Liberty have to say, no, like I, I want to support you, but it's hurting me to do so. Yeah. Um, and she obviously finds that line in a very fun way in a bit, but, um, yeah, like I, I really like that sort of setup. Like, so you're entering this this combat with this idea in your mind of like, she, she Liberty's trying to help. She wants to help, even her sister. And and like, how do you how do you do that when it seems impossible? Like, the only way that America wants to be helped is with violence. And how how do you deal with that? Mm. Yeah, yeah. Um, but yeah, so so Mary and Libs find the trio swimming by the bridge and declare war. And I want to pull this out because I just really liked one of these moments. We touched on it last chapter, these moments of like seeing cool things that you get that the character's head that you're in doesn't understand. And there are a few really fun ones here. Um, uh, as they approach, they've been talking about how they're declaring war and Liberty sees that Lucy is pointing at them like she'd spotted them, and it's kind of confusing. But, of course, we know Lucy has an implement and just heard that they were planning to declare war, <laughs> which is great. Yeah, especially because they, they, they're like, oh, did we set off any traps? We didn't set off any traps. And it's like, I'm pretty sure we've seen the people who lay traps like that are goblins. So it's like they're coming at this from a very goblin practitioner perspective mm. of, like, they must have set up traps. Mm. Yeah. Fun moment. Um, there's another one of these that is sad instead, where we see Lucy reach for a necklace, lift it up, hesitate, and then drop her hand, which is <laughs> tragic. I, 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 uh, yeah, I couldn't handle it. it. It was very painful to me. I think what's fun about that moment in particular as well is I've seen like six different discussions about what it meant. Because mm. some people are like, oh, it's because of the broken, like familiar relationship that Alexander did. Other mm. people are like, oh, but it's also Lucy didn't want more violence. Like, you know, bringing John in means that you're yes. expecting death. Yeah. Like, it's just, yeah, it's really cool because I, I, I think it's one of those all of the above situations uh, that we're very familiar with in this world. Um, and that's why it sort of hits you so hard because there's like a hundred reasons Lucy wants to call in John and a hundred reasons that she won't and can't. Yeah. Yeah. Um, they do their, Mary and Libs do their Sailor Moon transformation, which is great. And of course, <laughs> what you'd use goblins for is a weird kind of warped version of Cinderella clothes changing. Yeah, I mean, honestly, like, uh, the Kenneteers should just go home at this point. Like, the practice has peaked here. I don't think, I think anyone could ever do something this cool. Um, just, just pack it up, 
like especially Verona, like the practice, you're done. You're not you're not gonna do anything this cool ever. Yeah. Yeah. So give it up. <laughs> <laughs> it just I mean the, the the icing on the cake is absolutely um the fact that America's smoke clears a little bit early. <laughs> and and so like yeah. you see the last few bits of like the goblins like touching her up and it's just like yeah. Oh, cool. And then Verona like claps, which was just fucking spot on <laughs> as a as a reaction. It's so good. It's very good. <sighs> it's classic. Also, Liberty thinks that Verona's name is Veronica. Yeah, I noticed I th- that too. <laughs> that was hilarious. I-, I think it sells really well how not into this she is. <laughs> like she doesn't even well, she She's doesn't not even know even their paying names. attention. Yeah. Yeah. Like she doesn't give a shit. She just wants to swim. It's so sad when she has this moment of it would be nice to swim, enjoy the summer day. It's just sad. Like, nobody wants this yeah. fight. The only person who does is America, and she is clearly just trying to vent her emotions the only way she really knows how. Yeah, she just doesn't have a healthy outlet. Yeah. Yeah. <sighs> um, and there's also a beat where all the other people that were swimming with them just run away. <laughs> just <laughs> run away. Like, I mean, I know there's, you know, the Kenjis are new to this group of friends, but even so, that feels like a dog move. I think I would be willing to believe that the Kenneteers would have told them all to just leave. Oh, you reckon? Yeah. Like, I could see the Kenneteers being the sorts to be like, ah, they're after us. You guys go. Like, we'll handle this. Mm. I mean, real friends would be like, no, I've got your back. But, eh, like, yeah. Yeah. It's funny. I I actually forgot that there were other people there until you mentioned that. Like, you're right. There is a moment where it's like everyone else left. (laughs) It's like, oh, yeah. Mm. Yeah. I don't know. I... It seems dodge for them to just leave. Yeah. Um, also, I guess I'm just going to touch on this the first time it comes up. We get like a quick insight into Liberty's sight. Um, and it's like she's got this cool focus on like weaknesses, mm. uh, which I just love for how it suits the kind of goblin motif of like, you know, like bringing things down and, and causing chaos by striking weak points. Um, but it also fits into like that distinctly Liberty sort of like sweetheart part because she can just like spot people's weak points and like shore them up as well like it, it, it's about how she uses it not what it is mm. yeah it's an interesting uh it's an interesting thought that like looking at what the weakness of something is and nurturing it i, I love that vibe yeah because that's that's the vibe i get from the way she interacts with goblins like fox mm. left mm. she sort of takes them under her wing and um you know help, yeah but it's like this weird hybrid between being like a babysitter and a pet owner almost mm, yeah um yeah uh, wait yeah it's just cool also it like uses static which um i think fits into like at the end of the chapter she's like oh let's go watch tv um so i feel like it's probably like i feel like maybe she's just a tv junkie mm-hmm. yeah i mean the vibe is just rather than cause fights she just wants to go and chill and watch her favorite shows which you know yeah, I can move. I can get behind it. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Um, so yeah, Liberty starts to fight before realizing more and more that this isn't what she wants. Uh, she looks for a reason to end this fight before Chekhov's fork hatches and provides her with one. Oh, I mean. It's a great moment, isn't it? What a moment. <laughs> and who who was the one who predicted because I remember this what this prediction was made. Yeah, uh this was Kao Subalu, I believe, was the first one to bring it to us at least. Mm. Um so yeah, I mean, and I think we said when this prediction came up, it might be our favorite prediction so far. So for yeah. it to be bang on, like it's just yeah, well done, Kelsey Blue. Yeah, um, and yeah, I'll go like what a moment this is. 
Yeah, God, isn't it so good? <laughs> I've really missed the drop and pop dynamic. Like the fact that Cherry Pop still doesn't understand Snowdrop's gimmick is so hilarious <laughs> to watch unfold. I fucking love it. She, she's just so stupid. <laughs> Um, there's almost part of me that wonders if like cherry is technically lying because she has all these moments where she's like you're even stupider than i am mm. and it's like okay well i mean cherry pop definitely believes that but i, I think i'm fairly confident we can say that that's objectively not the case um so yeah like I'm, I'm worried for little cherry but um yeah i mean this moment is just i mean it's so good because like because cherry pop's involved it has to amount to nothing like really and that's what it does it's like she fucking dedicated weeks of her life to, like, a, a big boo scare on Avery. <laughs> it's basically all it is. Mm-hmm. And she does it, and it doesn't even really work, because yes, Avery flinches, but it was like, it was the worst timing. So it's just, it's such a nothing move. But actually, though, it is. It's super important, because it's what, like, it's that thing that finally pushes Liberty over the edge. Yeah. Um... <laughs> It's great. It's so good. The fact that this is enough of a... And I mean, obviously, she's kind of leaning into it a little bit, but the fact that she respects this goblin plan unfolding <laughs> enough to back up is just so wholesome. It's just so wholesome. Yeah, like, Liberty's response is to, like, ask Cherry Pop questions. Like, oh, how long have you been working on this? Like, you know, uh, just, uh, yeah, anyway, she's just... She's so happy that Cherry Pop is happy. Mm-hmm. Um yeah, yeah. I mean, it, like, it feels like this great case of Wildbo getting to have his cake and eat it too, because the cherry pop is the fork thing gets to be as stupid and meaningless as something involving cherry pop kind of has to be by definition. Like, it has to be useless and pointless. Yeah. Um, but it triggers this one tiny chord in another person, which means it actually doesn't end up being useless. It's kind of like, yeah, <laughs> yeah. Like you get you get the best of both worlds. You get the really for both. fulfilling yeah. way. Yeah. yeah. Yeah, and, and we get the beautiful banter between Snowdrop and Avery. Like, there's there's these great lines where it's like Snowdrop's like, "Well, I mean, you know, Cherry Pop's not any better than like as a fork than as a goblin." Um, yeah, it's great. Yeah, it's uh, it's good. It's very good. <sighs> um, so yeah, I, I, I guess we can pull out this this sentence, which is the core of of Liberty's ideals, which is. The, the bond that her and America have is based around the fact that they had been kind of shat on by a lot of people and they made a, a vow to be better, not just to people, but to goblins. And again, I want to pull this out of like, I think they might be the only other practitioners at, at the BHI that care about others, care about <laughs> protecting the disenfranchised, including others. And maybe it's just goblins for the Teds, but even so, it's still revolutionary in a way that only the Kenneteers have really <laughs> done before, right? Yeah, like, it, it's really just this this thing that makes this whole fight so fucking frustrating to read, because you're like, you five are actually mostly all on kind of the same page. Like, apart from America and her details about Alexander, it's like, these five have so much more in common than they do with most of the other people in this school. Mm. It's like, why are you fighting? Um, yes. Like, it, it, yeah. Uh, and as you said, like I feel like that that promise is particularly important because the Kenneteers made like the same promise in eight point one, yeah, or was it eight point two? Like when they were walking back after hanging out with Clem and Shelley, Verona was like, "Hey, let's promise not wait like, to always have each other's back and not turn into you know Bristow and Alexander." Mm. And the other two, are like, "Fuck yeah!" And that, that feels like a very similar promise where it was just kind of nebulous 
let's try to be better. And there's like only so much you can do with that if one of you starts walking down a bad path. Yeah, yeah, true. Um, so yeah, America isn't happy about this, but you know, when is she ever? So it seems <laughs> like Liberty has made some more friends. Lucy promises to email her and Flops tells her about the murder that uh, <laughs> that it, he saw. He? I, he, I, I, don't, I, think it's an, I think he says another goblin saw it. Ah, right. Yes. Um, um, yeah. So first, I mean, go Lucy. Get more names on that on that list. That Avery's yeah, more friends. Yeah, exactly. It. More people in the circle of friends. Um, and then uh, Liberty also gets to have her swim here. Uh, she gets to dive into the gross, mucky dead Yay. rat water in order to fetch uh, the dead rat. So, Yay. so all's well that ends well. <laughs> Uh, no, I come in. I think this this moment does feel important because she actually stays down there as long as she can. Like she makes at this point in the narration to the fact that she, by the time she leaves, like she's bursting for breath. Like she actually stayed down there as long as she could, despite the grossness of that water. It was like she wanted her fucking swim, and she doesn't want to have to talk to America, so she stays mm-hmm. down there as long as she can. Yep. Ah, uh, it's a bit sad. Mm. Yeah, and now and then, obviously, we know that uh, when this fairy. Uh, court excursion happens. America is apparently planning something, so that's yep, fun. That'll be good. That'll be a good time. Uh, can't wait to see that unfold. I'm sh- I'm assuming we'll see that in the next chapter or two, presumably. Yeah, in this arc at least for sure. Yep. Um, but yeah, the other thing that's worth noting here is obviously Liberty has the crucial crucial pin- piece of information to know 100. It was the Kenneteers. I mean, she seems to recognize John from the description, so yep. she. She has all the power here, and she says, "No, instead of perpetuating the cycle of violence, we're going to break the chain and instead go watch TV." So, <laughs> Liberty, thumbs up to that a champion character. Yep. Yeah, I, I, I'm not even joking anymore when I say Liberty for the fifth Kennedy. Like, yeah, it's just, she's great. She'd be a great fit. Yeah. <sighs> yeah, um, and that's how the chapter ends. So let's move on to our uh, extra material here, which is. Speaking of emails that are going to be sent, we get some emails between Matthew and the Kenneteers in New Other Correspondence number one. So presumably mm. uh, we know what next week's bonus material is going to be as well. Yeah, I, well, yeah, I mean, presumably at some point in the not-too-distant future we're going to get New Other Correspondence number two. I mean, this the ending of this extra material very explicitly sets up that Matthew's planning on sending the next one. Yes. Um... But yeah, so this is emails with Matthew about the new others in town. First up, Nibble and Chloe. Yeah. Although before he goes into Nibble and Chloe, uh, mm. Matt, there's like a whole email dedicated to like giving all this detail on how the Kenneth others are, are like thinking about this, like what their rationale is for picking these new others, like all sorts of big picture details about the broader situation. And I, I, I just think like that was super important that he sends them that stuff because it's not like... He's not doing the minimum he needs to prepare them as part of some sort of like obligation. Mm. Like he, th- this shows an actual level of trust. Like he wants them to know. He wants their opinions on what they're doing. Yeah, um, he's great. He's such yeah. a champ. Matt, Matt has like since they left Kenneth, Matt has just continued to shoot up and up in my respect, which has me worried that like he's going to die. You know, mm. something to do with Edith, mm. but um. Yeah, like, I mean, I just love everything about... Every time he shows up now, he just keeps getting more and more, like, goodness points. Yeah, I mean, he... Genuinely, he's the one character where I just don't think, slash want, slash 
can't handle him being <laughs> the villain. I d- it's just not going to happen. He's just too great. Yeah, 100%. I think if he does anything villainous, it's going to be uh, like sacrificing himself to help Edith or some shit. But um, yeah, I, I mean, the other thing he does here, like, so part, part of what he talks about in this big picture stuff is he lays out, like, one of the things they do have is while these all these new others don't get, like, proper votes, there's, like, a pathway for them to become full members. And I don't hate it. I actually, it seems like a good system. Mm. so it, it it reminds me of like the australian system for getting your driver's license where it's like okay first you're on your l's you don't have much freedom then you sort of become a half member and you get a half vote and you're on your p's and then if you do another year of that then you graduate to becoming a full member and i'm like okay that, that yeah it seems like a good system yeah, it's a good si- i mean yeah when we yeah like learning about the fact that they all were sharing a vote was like oh this is dodgy but now i'm like you know what thumbs up looks good yeah, exactly. Like th- this is a way of saying, yeah, prove to us that you are in line with our values, and mm. like you know, we'll, like we'll give you. Yeah, time. yeah. I mean, obviously, the the perhaps potential problem with it is, is like Matt sort of says, oh, all well, these situations are very unique, and it's all very dependent on the sponsor. And you know, knowing that at least two of these sponsors are like murder suspects, sort of like, well, okay, I guess it depends a little bit on who their sponsors are. But um, I don't know. I, overall, I'm like, yeah, pretty impressed. Mm. Yeah, yeah. Um, also, so, so the, the two others are divided into two. Like, it's like all of the new others get a vote, and also all of the new goblins get a vote. Like, there's so many goblins that they are like equal to everything else combined. Mm. And I just feel like that's important. I think I, I've sort of made this point before, but like, you know, with things like goblins have been brought up as specific examples of things that crop up and come to prominence when the Carmine Beast shit is is like all a mess. And so it's like the fact that, yeah, half of the new others are goblins and that, you know, all the new goblins represent one whole vote compared to everything else combined. That That's just like, I mean, to come right, I know we're coming right off the back of 8.8 where we said goblins aren't all just violence and all that, but it, it does feel like it's saying something. Something's yeah. up, yeah. 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 Um, I I want to talk about Nibble and Chloe because I think it's hilarious that one of the ghouls' names is Nibble, which is just great. And he's the one that eats less flesh. Like he he eats TV shows or whatever, and he's called Nibble. And the one who does eat dead flesh is called Chloe. <laughs> yeah, it may like I mean like you know his given human name can't have been Nibble, right? Like I mean, was it a my implica- name? I, I guess the implication we get is that he. But he's one of these kinds of others that is formed from someone just kind of losing their humanity, right? Yeah. So yeah. he, who knows what his human name was? But I mean, Chloe kept hers. Like, that's... yeah, but she she wasn't kind of bled out of her humanity over time. She just turned into a ghoul, right? Yeah, that's fair. That's fair. I don't know. Yeah, it's very fun. Like, I think. It was funny. It was funny for me because Nibble is the one that's introduced first, and it was kind of like, okay, that's like a fairly, like you know, it's a kind of sad but benign origin story. Like, oh, I just sort of watched so much TV that um, mm. I couldn't die properly. Mm. Um, like, you know, very relatable. And I started to let my guard down because it was like, hey, like you know, this guy's introduced as being cool. His origin story isn't violent. I was like, what a perfect candidate for like Kenneth as a whole. Like. <laughs> you know, I I love this guy. Yeah, these new Kenneth others are going to be great, and then it's sort of immediately like, and here's Chloe's backstory, and I was like, okay, no, there it is. That's that's what yeah. I expect. I'm, yeah, 
more interesting in the sense that you even get the vibe that Chloe might not be worth the trade-off, you know, like she's clearly got a lot going on and needs needs the town as much as the town needs her. Mm. It reminds me of John and Yolda, like when they arrived. In yes, town, to be honest, and that uh, you know has gone in some interesting directions. <laughs> let's say, <laughs> I think that's a that's a charitable way to put it. Yeah. Well, yeah. Um... I mean, in in not too long of a time, Nibble's going to have to put down Chloe, and then we'll get the even hungrier choir. Oh <laughs> <laughs> uh, yeah, I feel the... bad about that. I'm sorry, folks. <laughs> the Carmine Ghoul. Um, yeah, yeah, yeah. I, yeah, I'm, I'm very curious to sort of meet these two and see what it's all about. Um, because yeah, like it, they've they seem very interesting. Yeah, definitely. Um, Chloe's backstory is so tragic. It's just that she was abandoned by her friends and selected as like, oh, take this person in sacrifice. It's the mm. worst. Yep, it's horrible. <laughs> yeah. Um. But then, obviously, we get a lot of beats over the course of this chapter of the trio being really, like, knowledgeable about others, and Matthew calls it out in a bit, so we'll touch on it then. But it hasn't been very long since they've been at the BHI, and immediately they clearly know their shit about all of the types of others that are mentioned here. Yeah. Um, yeah, sure. Yeah, we'll definitely get into that. I, I think, I, like, more broadly, I also just want to call out, I love the... um the sort of structure of this extra material where it's sort of, you know, this sort of big info dump yeah, and then a bunch of responses and chatter. Yeah. Um, like for starters, I don't think there was a single group of responses that didn't actually make me laugh out loud. <laughs> um, like the, the first one as, as an example shows how sort of how perfect everything or everyone here is categorized. Cause Matt dumps out all the info and Lucy is sort of immediately like, you know, who was hunting them? Like, who do we, who do we need to tell to, to, to go get fucked? Um, and then Verona immediately sort of info dumps back with like, hey, here's some stuff that might help. Like, she's like a walking library. Uh, and then Avery, of course, is the one who's like, tell me about the third person nobody cares about. Um, <laughs> which, Classic okay, Avery. Uh, you know, yeah, relatable for her. Um, so, yeah, like I, I know, just sort of a great way to sort of fit in character work to break up the exposition in a way that's very fluid. Mm. Um, I yeah, I really sort of like the structure of this extra material. Mm. Yeah, no, me too. It's great. Um, yeah, it's a lot of. I mean, the thing that I really like about it again is we just get to see the Kenneteers being so knowledgeable, even too knowledgeable, uh, as it seems at one point. As Verona says a few things, and Lucy's like, "Maybe uh, hold off a bit on that." <laughs> uh yeah, the. I mean, I suppose they have been specifically trying to learn stuff to help them in Kennet, but um, yeah, it's a good point. Like they are, you know, quickly catching up and surpassing like even Matthew's level of knowledge. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um. So yeah, next up we get the goblins. Two groups. One kind of pre-existing group that has had a number of things that they've been up to, and one batch of extra goblins who have just shown up. Wait, which one is which? In your mind, the, the the first group was a pre-existing group of, um, of like technoized goblins, right? <laughs> yeah, yeah, okay, okay. What well, I think we hear, I that mean, failed, one... failed heists. A lot of <laughs> dumb. They're... Yeah, but and then the yep, second they're... batch, which is just like the group of goblins that we saw being introduced by Toad Swallow, right? No, wait, isn't that right? Or am I getting them mixed up? I, I, I think that's the wrong way around. But no, okay, no, like I mean. 
the Toad Slow one, like, so the group that's like Taddy Bojangles, yeah. Snot Goblin, and all them. Yeah. Like, they were an existing group because we get that, we get the oh. list of all their exploits. Wait, maybe I am getting them mixed up. And then, okay, okay, so we've got the group that's like Taddy Bojangles, um, and like, yeah, the Snot Goblin, and they're the ones who like tried to steal the tiger from, from the zoo, um, and tried to, sell off an actress's uh trash on ebay yeah which classic i fucking love um their list of exploits was great and then there's like the second group who's like blunt munch's uh mates and they were the ones who like live in an apartment and had the te- the todd and the barney mm. i love the barney thing by the way it made me laugh i thought it was a reference to the simpsons until Wahlberg had to clarify that it's apparently just a term for a drunkard great but still i still found it hilarious <laughs> Yeah. Um that the idea that goblins are out there watching the <laughs> Simpsons and naming themselves after characters. I mean, yeah, like what's funny about goblins as well is like I, I hope that like in an arc or so we meet these guys and it's like, Oh, are you the one who's a you know, who's a who's a Todd? And he's like, Oh no, I'm not a Todd, I'm a like something else. Yeah. Like, Wobbo can just keep making references to this stuff. Yeah. Um yeah, now I think it's especially interesting that the goblins are second as well because, like, in five dot D, that was when we had Toad Swallow sign up um, this little unnamed goblin as someone who had to be in his team first and like a member of Kenneth second. Mm-hmm. So it's like seeing these guys. I think flags that little reminder in case you need it of like, hey, remember, like some of these new others will be affiliated with certain teams in Kenneth. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah, oh, yeah. I, there's, uh, yeah, like I don't know. As we're reading through each of these emails from Matthew, I'm thinking like, how are these people going to be involved with the unraveling of not necessarily the mystery, but just like the fallout from it? Um, yeah, and I think that's a really interesting question to think about as we go through each of these. Yeah. Um. The last thing for the goblins is um Verona. Uh, has been asked by the little snot one to name it, which is like a huge <laughs> deal for goblins. Yeah. And I just like, I mean, that's so fucking great. Um, I was, I almost want that to be our discussion question. What do you call this goblin? Um, mm. uh, have you got any thoughts? I want it to be like a pun on an artist's name, like Snot Carso or Angelo. Oh, yeah. I like that. Yeah, I can see um, that. Um, but I, I feel like a gobliny sounding name would be like Snot Smear or something. Mm. I do prefer an artist parody. I think will be good. <laughs> so do I. I, it's, I suppose it's up to Verona to try and sell it. But um, I, I, I mean, this this just made me have a have a thought because like Lucy brings up, she's like, God, first Tashlit, and, and now like this one, like you know, you're just making friends with all these others. Um, whenever we're not around, and uh, like this triggered that thought. Like we don't know what Verona's practice is going to look like, right? Mm. And I wonder if like this. Is it like being being a goblin namer, mm. or no, just being like an other whisperer, basically? Oh, interesting. Like someone who, in the world of the practice, you could almost view them as like an art dealer, or it's like you know, right? You come to Verona, and it's like, hey, I need to do this. Yeah, and she's this walking library with all these contacts with yeah. others. Oh, I call up Tashlet or Snot Smear or whatever. Yeah, yeah, and, and she's sort of the one who puts you in touch, makes sure it's a fair deal for everyone involved. That's an interesting um, idea. I wonder if there's something like that, a type of practice that's, that, that is like that that we've heard of. I'm trying to think, but I can't think of anything that's... No. Well, I yeah. like those theories. I think the Mile End gang brought it up in our last reflecting episode. Like, 
there that you know Verona might just invent a new style of practice. Like maybe mm. this, maybe yeah, maybe this will be her. She'll she'll invent the sort of middleman. Uh, you know, she'll come up with a better name for it, I'm sure, and for the goblin. Mm. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, so yeah, next up we start talking about Montague. He's something we don't really know what he basically possesses things, right? <laughs> Yeah, he's fucking wild. Like, I, I'm not going to lie, I don't think I fully understand what Monty's deal is. Yeah, Matthew calls out that he's amplified or has been drawn in by the Carmine vacancy, and I had the thought that maybe he's even more tangibly connected, like was possibly created by the Carmine Beast's death or something like that. I mean, there are some similarities that make it suspicious. Yeah, like he always appears as like a red pool of blood to the unaware and stuff. Um, yeah, I, I mean, it could be. It seems like it's kind of impossible to know how these things form. Like, it's it seems kind of vague where it's like, oh, yeah, you do a ritual and something gets caught up in the crossfire, or like the, the warping of space. Mm. Um, yeah, I, I, it's definitely possible that he's more tangibly connected to the Carmine Beast's death. Yeah, I don't know. Maybe maybe not so tangibly. I just, the, the connections make it suspicious to an extent that, I guess could be explained by just the 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 vacancy kind of drawing these types of things in, but it feels a bit more tangible to me. Yeah, I'm trying to think because he has this effect. Like they talk about the effect he has on the perimeter um, when he's in charge of it, and it just kind of puts yeah. everyone on edge and makes you kind of jumpy. Um, and I, that doesn't feel super carmine to me. I don't know. Mm. Yeah, yeah, maybe. Um, now Matthew calls out. He says. You three sure got an education. And obviously, because this is an email, we can't read too much into that because it is just text, which is, again, another reason why I think this is such an interesting uh, bonus material. But yeah, I, I don't know. Like, if I was Matthew, I'd be worried by this. <laughs> yeah. I, I, yeah. I can't, I can't wait to see again what this looks like when they actually go back to Kennet. Um, yeah. Yeah. Because, you know, Edith would be very concerned about it. Mm-hmm. Um, whereas Matthew might have much more mixed feelings. Like, I think he said he was one of the few who voted to teach them binding. Yes. Before they left. So, yeah. Who knows? Yeah. I feel like Matthew might just be kind of, I think, I feel like Matthew's at the point where he trusts them that he just kind of be like, oh, this is good. Yes. Uh, but there's others who. I definitely, do. yeah, exactly. Uh, definitely a bunch of others in town would not think that. I don't know. Even for Matthew, I'd have to think he would be a little nervous by it. Yeah, which is fair, honestly. Yeah, um, yeah, for sure. Lucy also calls uh, Matthew out on this thing. He quickly mentions like a bird being caught in a wind turbine, and Lucy okay boomers him. Um, it's a great, it's a great little moment, <laughs> especially because it caught me. I just kind of skimmed right past that comparison and didn't think twice about it. Mm. And I was sort of like, oh yeah, good point. That is like a shitty comparison to make. Mm. Um, so yeah, I love, I love fucking. Like, be better, Lucy. <laughs> it's good, isn't it? Uh, yeah, it's good stuff. Um, so, yes, we revisit Sig for our final one before touching a bit on the other others that are left to be identified. Uh, yes. And, uh, I mean, Sig, oh, obviously, I think we're all exci- excited to get the deets on Sig. Mm. He's um, he's weird. He's like this kind of... I don't want to use the term incarnation because that obviously yes. just got textual yes um like definition in this story but um 
you know, he's he's like this embodiment of what like being a cigarette is. Mm. Like he 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 listens. He's social. Um, mm. it, it's just like a really cool thing. Like you sort of, it's like okay, if you were to take what a cigarette means to people and kind of give it life, that's kind of what cig is. Yeah, interesting. Like the social implications of a cigarette. Yeah. I, I, I'm talking out of my ass a little bit here because I don't smoke. Like, and, and I, <laughs> I haven't ever smoked. Yeah. But, like, it seems like the the part of smoking that people enjoy is the bit where you're actually hanging out and just, like, meeting people over a cigarette. Mm. And, and I kind of get the vibe that that's what Sig is a mm. little bit. He's that, like, you know, yeah, meeting up with people, learning their story. And that's why he's such a fucking good scout. Like, he's actually kind of OP, to be honest. Mm. We get, like, the rundown of what he can do. And, like, the fact that he can communicate, I was like, wow, he's actually really good. Yeah, he seems to be pretty, pretty great. <laughs> and he's, he's like, 100 years old or something. Like, it's insane. Mm, yeah. Um, he's great. And I want him to be the main character of Wabo's next story, which is going to be called <laughs> Puff, and I think will be great. Or what if he gets a massive upgrade because of all the Carmine B stuff, and then he becomes a pyre? Okay, so. yeah, I could see it. He fucking um, burns humans. Sure, yes. <laughs> it becomes the Carmine cigarette. Um, the anywho, <laughs> then obviously this 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 bonus material ends with Matthew hinting at another. Uh, sorry, the other others that are left to be identified, which are Lee, Liz, Jabba, Ken, and one other who is not yet comfortable with being described to the Kenneteers, which I think is interesting. I wonder if there's. <laughs> Do you think there's like a reveal hiding in there? Like, is it, it, it maybe even someone from Pack that we know, or just someone we've already met in this story, or is it just someone being cautious? I don't know. Like, it's weird that this happens at all, and there's like a a, a, a neon sign around this other of like someone else is coming soon. Who's it going to be? Like, I don't know. I, I don't think it, it would be nothing. No, I, I I agree. Like, I don't think Wildbo would dedicate a couple of sentences to. Hey, here's an other, and I can't tell you who or what it is. Yeah. Um. Unless there was something he was doing with that. That said, like, much like with the fairy, I've given up feeling confident. I know where Wildbow is taking something. Yeah. But like, like you know, yeah. Like, if it is someone we haven't met and they're just paranoid, like, like why has that been set up? Like, you know. Yeah. I I don't I don't know if I'm comfortable guessing exactly what direction he's taking it, but I agree that we're going to meet this other or get the details on them, and there'll be something important to the fact that they were this paranoid mm. yeah i agree i there's going to be some more to this and i'm excited to see what that ends up being i suppose yeah i'm trying to think like if it was an other like who could it even be like if it's someone mm. from this story mm. like who's an other that we've sort of met outside of kennett who wouldn't even want them to know mm. yeah i wonder i don't know the answer to that hopefully we'll find out eventually it's a flock of brownies <laughs> interesting interesting very I, I, interesting. I don't actually think that that's the case but it's my funniest answer um verona finally empties her stomach and then gets back to ken and there's a flock of brownies there yeah oh, so good. Um, <laughs> that would be good yeah uh, <sighs> so the, the same thing they close on um again what i love so lucy asks matt how he's doing which again i fucking love these girls that Lucy takes the time to be like, hey, how are you doing? Um, and part of his response is that Matt is like, oh, yeah, um, you know, oh, I think one of the questions they ask is, like, do we get votes? 
And uh, Matt gives confirmation that, yeah, as far as he's concerned, they get votes and um, mm. on things that they should have votes on. And he actually drops the tidbit that sometimes he doesn't even get votes. Um, which, mm. yeah, I, like, I don't know. That that seems like an interesting piece of information I don't quite think we had. Like, mm. back when we were in Canada, I always got the vibe that Matt was treated as one of the others, not as, like, an ex-practitioner turned other or whatever. Yeah. Yeah, but the fact that he sometimes doesn't get votes kind of implies. Yeah, to me that, it's strange, um, isn't it? Yeah, that he's not fully in the group of others to that extent, which I didn't yeah. realize. No, same. So that yeah, I don't wait again. Can't wait till we actually get to go back to Canada. Like this, this feels like we're leading up to that because we're getting introduced to all the new characters there. So I can't wait for it. Um. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Me neither. Um. And with that, that's the end of the extra material. Which means we now dive into some pale predictions before the show ends. Um, opportunities for our uh, community to make predictions on what they think is going to happen in, in the story and possibly be proven correct. Uh, so did you have a prediction you want to pull out, Elliot? Or maybe I'll pull mine out first. Um, I pulled out a prediction from a user, Rhinoron, who predicted... That we haven't seen the last of Reagan, who we'll remember was Ooh. a schoolmate of the Kenneteers before she uh, died. Got hungry, quiet. Exactly. Um, the, Rhinoron's prediction is that Reagan was rescued by whoever it is that's behind all of this karma and shenaniganry. Um, and I would love this as a twist because I think Reagan was a character that we found quite interesting, but then just kind of died. And, and it was a, a shocking death, <laughs> right? In fact, I, I saw Reagan taking on a role that is similar to like Bree's current role in the story, but then suddenly yeah. Reagan died and Bree Bree became Bree. Um so yeah, I, I'm I, I'm interested to see if this pans out. Although I think I worry that by speaking this prediction will have made it less likely. I kind of worry that Wabo <laughs> listens out to this segment and decides not to do whatever predictions we pull out. <laughs> uh I I I mean I, I... I doubt that that's that last part's the case. Um, I, I do think it's interesting. You're right. Cause Reagan was someone who we had a lot to do with. And then she's just kind of like, I think we've seen Gabe a couple of times since, um, like the hungry choir always pulls Gabe out to torture them with. I, I wonder if, if Reagan, like Reagan would be in there somewhere. Yeah. Like curious. Mm. I, I wouldn't be surprised if, if, uh, a hungry choir wife of Ra uh, of Reagan came out at some point yeah i mean this is one of the things they mentioned yeah it's like yeah the fact that we haven't seen a wave of reagan means that this theory is possible you know so who knows we'll see sure um, um do you have a prediction you want to pull out uh yeah i pulled out a uh, prediction by captain rhino who uh says they're mostly restating what was discussed about toad swallow in um our arc 7 reflecting uh episode uh but basically captain rhino thinks that uh Toad Swallow has instigated this whole thing as part of a uh, disaster capitalist scheme to gain market share and engage in war profiteering. Mm. Um, which I don't know if I agree that Toad Swallow instigated this whole thing, but I love the read of Toad Swallow as a war profiteer, um, like, uh, but like a more opportunistic one. Interesting. He's just opportunistically profiteering from this i think that works and i think toad swallow kind of feels a bit like in his attire at least kind of old school capitalist which makes me think this theory yeah. will pan out quite well he 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 kind of dresses like the monopoly man exactly like, you know, like right. yeah <laughs> um 
So yeah, I yeah, I I I like this theory from Rhino. I don't know if I agree that yeah he he is capable enough to instigate it, but the idea of Toad Swallow opportunistically turning this to a profit um, mm. by war profiteering mm. uh, absolutely gels with my read on him. Mm. Yeah, yeah, I'm with you on that. Um, yeah, I like it. I mean, how will we get this theory confirmed? What what would the confirmation of this theory be? Uh, if something happens where Toad Swallow puts profiteering above a moral decision that the mm. Kennedy is asking him to do or something. Mm. Yeah. Interesting. Interesting. Okay. Well, we'll watch out for that, I guess. <laughs> um, now, normally this would be the part of the show where we would talk about a discussion question. We don't necessarily have one, although if you want to leave your responses on uh, what's a good... What was the one? You mentioned something earlier in this show. Oh, what what name for the snot? Oh goblin? yeah, yeah, yeah. That's right. What should <laughs> what should the snot goblin be called? If you want to leave your answers to that in the Reddit thread, you should. That's great. Alternatively, <laughs> there's an interesting Reddit thread on the Parahuman subreddit at the moment about how people's thoughts on Ward have matured, and that's uh, uh, fostering a lot of interesting discussion. So check that one out too, I guess, if you want. Yeah, and I think the thread even mentions that Matt and Scott are planning to record an episode going over some of that stuff. So yes, it's basically a big discussion question uh, topic. Yeah. Um, cool. I, so I you think... don't need one from us. So just lay off, all right? <laughs> yeah, exactly. Chill, chillax. <laughs> You're getting whole discussion question episode of of uh, we've got Ward. So <laughs> be happy with that. Um, if you want to check out those discussion threads, uh, you can find them on the Parahuman subreddit, reddit.com forward slash r forward slash Parahumans. Uh, of course, the discussion thread for this episode will be linked in the show notes down below as well. Uh, yes, you can also find us on Twitter. Uh, live reads are back on the normal schedule, so just head over to the Power Reflections uh, account and give us a follow. What's the shit? What's the Twitter? Is it a follow, sub? A yeah. follow? No follow. follow. Yeah. Cool. Nailed it first time. Yep, first time, first time. Uh, of course, if you want to check out more stuff from the Doof Media Network, you can head to the life, of, uh, the, the life, the home of the Doof Media Network, doofmedia.com. Uh, head there to. Yeah, check it all out. Um, one thing that you might want to check out is I think the book club has just recorded as we've uh, been recording this episode, which means yeah. when this episode comes out, it would have come out, what, like six hours ago, something like that? Yeah, yeah. I think it's still going right now, actually. Um, mm. So, yeah, it, yeah, it'll be a couple of hours old by the time uh, we're out of here and you're listening to this episode. So go check it out. That's on uh, This Is How You Lose the Time War. Yes. Which is a book a, I have not a read good title but really for a want book. To. Yeah, I know. How enticing. Yeah. Is um, it a Doctor Who spin-off? Could be. Could be. <laughs> it's probably not. <sighs> um and uh yes, of course, if you want to support all of the great shows on the Doof Media Network, you can head to patreon.com forward slash doofmedia and throw us some uh, some money, because why not? Then we can keep doing these cool things. Yeah. Uh and of course none of this podcast or this story would be possible without the great sage uh wabo mm -hmm. so head on over to patreon.com forward slash wabo and give him some gifts if you're enjoying this story as much as we are yeah then you can help him what fix his beard fix his fake beard <laughs> that's been taped onto his face <laughs> uh yeah or you know with his magazine collection yeah um yes perfect uh and with that that's the end of our show so we will catch you next time see ya Bye.